Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Stupinski. Thank you for joining us today. It is April 10th, 2022, Sunday, and this is the week before Pesach. We just passed Shabbat HaGadol, and this Friday night is the big Lala Seder here in Israel, the Seder night, and we are all off from school. No one is at school now, and all the kids are home. Um, sleeping and hopefully helping clean the house. And I love this in Israel. The kids clean their classrooms um, the week before their vacation. So my children have been in this cleaning mode. And in the yeshiva, they clean. In their school, they clean. In the machina, they clean. And then they come home. And I don't know if they think they're going to get a break, but they don't. And then they clean at home as well. And I was not raised taking it so seriously. But here the kids are very serious and they make a schedule and um i'm not saying they're you know cinderella or anything but they are helping and i am i am happy uh it's a big job it's a big job um my mother is coming for the first time in our i think 16 years in israel we will have a family member at our seder and i am so excited i am thrilled and anxious and nervous and excited And um, it's just my mom. My dad's not coming. He's not well enough. And um, none of my other siblings, but at least my mom is coming. So it'll be very exciting. Um, I just got a very cool list of everyone listening to us right now. We have listeners in the United States, Israel, Australia, United Kingdom, Norway, Japan, Germany, Argentina, and Canada. I love it. I love it. Um, You know, tell your friends to listen in. I get such great feedback about the show. And I'm so glad people enjoy it. Um, you know, we have, you know, good times and bad times over here. And this show uh, is is a good, positive one to, to show the good in Israel. Uh, we have it both. We Israel is, you know, an active, vibrant country. And we've had a difficult uh, week with terror. And it, it's been hard. So it's nice to focus on the bright side of Israel, and that is Aliyah, and all of you are a part of that to help make that happen. So stay with us. We have a great story for you when we come back after these messages. Don't go away. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged. Every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. Joining us today is an Ole from Philadelphia. 
Um, his name is Adam Levick. Adam uh, actually wrote a very funny Facebook post, and that's how I met him and actually called him up to invite him on the show. He, he wrote that he was recently in Aroma, a very popular uh, cafe chain in Israel. Probably our listeners are familiar with Aroma. It's extremely successful. And he ordered, um, ordered I don't know, a coffee or something in Hebrew. And the uh, cashier, the person waiting on him, switched to English. Now, this happens to us often. They, the Israelis hear our accent, and they are just so excited to speak English, they will just speak, speak English. They don't care, you know, even if we want to speak Hebrew. So the guy answered him, where are you from? Um, and Adam said, Philadelphia. And the, the, the barista, I call him, started jumping around singing Rocky, Rocky, chanting Rocky, as in the movie Rocky, which is funny. And I loved this story. It never happened to me. But I love that people love Philadelphia and know Philadelphia because of the movie Rocky, which is amazing, a classic, if any of you have not seen it. So I um, immediately reached out to this guy and said, you want to come on the show? I bet you have a great story. His story is good. He moved um, to Israel in 2009 in his 40s. He was in his 40s. He was single. He was not raised as a religious Jew. And his first trip to Israel was with Federation um, on one of these young singles tours. And... He had never been to Israel before, came to Israel on that trip and decided this is for me and uh, made Aliyah afterwards, soon afterwards, because of, of the outbreak of the second intifada. He's going to tell us why, what happened in his own life to, to you know push him to move here. But it was that trip and uh, subsequently afterwards. A great story. Adam, um, you were there. Sorry, I keep going on and on. I'm very excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take us back a little bit. Um, how you grew up, and was Israel part of your life at all uh, in Philadelphia as a, as a youngster? No, I, I grew up secular. Our family was um, a, you know, secular Jewish. We celebrated um, Passover and Hanukkah, but we, never, we didn't belong to a synagogue. Uh, most of my friends were also secular Jews. Um, we, yeah, we grew up kind of proudly Jewish, but without any of the religion. Um, and I would say we were Zionists, but that wasn't really even close to the m- biggest focus, uh, you know, in our house. I think we were more American. Um, American politics was what my father used to talk about more, and my mother. And, um, you know, the family, I, my parents were pro-Israel, everyone in my family was pro-Israel, but it just wasn't a big focus. Um, and, you know, so I was someone probably who was also, you know, I ate and breathe, breathe politics. I love politics and international affairs, and I read widely. Um, but it really wasn't until, I would say, uh, I mean, there's a couple things that happened, but I would say the second intifada and um, the way the media miscovered the story and the way the outbreak of anti-Semitism throughout the world that just jolted me. You know, we all have those moments when just something jolts us and we are never the same after that. And I guess, you know, that was the culmination in which I finally began to realize is how important my Jewish identity was and how important my Zionist identity was. It kind of like, I was always a Zionist and I read, you know, only Zionist publications. Um, but it just, I just suddenly it occurred to me that, you know, Jews were in Israel were being um, viciously attacked and then being verbally attacked for defending themselves, and that this was the, um, you know, modern in, uh, manifestation of anti-Semitism, and that I wanted to be somehow 
a part of the fight against the new anti-Semitism and against the new anti-Zionism. And, um, and so, um, I mean, long story short, I, you know, decided to, at, in my mid-30s, become an unpaid intern at the ADL, and uh, I was focusing on, um, you know, I was doing research and just, you know, I didn't really know much about the Jewish community or about the pro-Israel community. All right, slow down a sec, they, slow down a second, because yeah. there are people who don't know what that is. It's the Anti-Defamation League, but what... What does it mean? What does it do? What What is that organization? Well, it's a Jewish civil rights organization. They you know, fight anti-Semitism, um, and within their mission, they also fight anti-Zionism. Um, I mean, you know, it's a longer discussion, and their mission has kind of changed in some ways, not for the better over the years, but certainly they are still an organization that's one of the largest organizations in the U.S. that fights anti-Semitism and, and fights BDS and delegitimization. And, and they had an office in Philadelphia, and I was living in Philadelphia, so I just called them and said, hey, do you want a 35-year-old intern? And I didn't have any experience, but I knew, I knew a lot. I knew enough that they took me on, and eventually it led to a paying position. Nice. Okay, I like that. I like that. You're 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 uh, pushy, but I, I was going to ask you something. You were just talking about how you um you know as you saw and witnessed this um, anti-Semitism and the the targeting of um, the way the media was against Israel. Did anything happen to you personally? Because you know everybody's watching the news and all kinds of people love Israel and they're watching Israel get bashed in the news and not everybody goes out and moves to Israel and not everyone goes out to, you know, actively do something. Did, did something personally happen to you that, that hit close to home? Well, yeah, I was, um, you know, before I got into Jewish advocacy and Israel advocacy and before I landed my current job here in Israel um, with camera, uh, you know, for years I was in, I managed coffee shops in Philadelphia, and I was managed. I was working in a coffee shop one day in Center City, Philadelphia, and I believe this was right after um, Israel's Operation Defensive Shield in Janine, uh, which followed the Passover massacre, um, in which um, I think like fifty some Jews were killed in a suicide bombing in Netanya, I believe. Um, and the Philadelphia Inquirer, the you know the, the the local newspaper, their headline was one of those horrible media headlines that you know we see about so much today, in which it made it seem as if Israel was committing a massacre in Jenin, which was the um, myth that was uh, created in the first days and weeks of that operation. And obviously, it turned out not to be true. The opposite was true. But one pro-Palestinian customer came into the store, looked at me, saw my um, Magan David that I was wearing and said, you guys are acting like animals. I mean, you guys, meaning Jews, meaning, you know, even though I was an American Jew and wasn't Israeli then, he looked at me and in, in my, in his mind, um, Israel, Israelis were animals. And therefore, since I was a Jew who self-identified as a Jew and proudly identified as a Jew, I was an animal. That is, you know, we were barbaric. So here I was, an American Jew, being um, subjected to anti-Semitism because of um, the fact that Israel was defending itself from these brutal terrorist suicide bombers. So um, okay. that had a big impact on me. Yeah, sure. And and yeah. then also in 2006, I went to Israel for the first time. I was too old for birthright, but I went on a Philadelphia Jewish Federation trip. Um, for about eight days, and, you know, it was also one of those just amazing moments. You know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know much about Israel. Um, we landed on the first day, and it was Friday, it was before Shabbat, 
and we went to the Kotel, and I didn't have any expectations about what it would be like. I didn't know much about the Kotel, its history, its religious significance um, of the Temple Mount, but we went to the Kotel, and I just had this unbelievable epiphany. I had this just connection, which I can't describe, which almost doesn't make sense, because I wasn't religious. I didn't go to, I didn't go to you know, synagogue, and um, didn't know much about the religion. All I know is, when I touched the wall, I just had this unbelievable epiphany that this is where I wanted to live, and I couldn't explain it. It kind of didn't make sense, but I just knew this is where I was destined to to move. And then finally, um, I made the decision in 2009 to pretty much sight unseen make Aliyah by myself at age 41. That is just amazing. Wow. At the age of 41, after one Federation trip, you know, when <laughs> yeah. you say Kotel, all of you listening, the Kotel is the Hebrew um, word for the Western Wall. It's the oldest uh, you know, remnant of the Temple Mount from Herod. Okay, so when you hear Kotel, you mean the Western Wall. This is the famous wall that people go to in Israel, Jerusalem. They pray there. They put notes in the cracks. You've all seen pictures. And um, you touched it, and wow, that's amazing. Not even being a religious person, I, I find that incredible. I mean, how, you know... The, <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Look, I, um, I've been told that, you know, by rabbis, you know, there's obviously a lot of energy uh, in that location. So it's proximity to um, the Temple Mount, you know, and um, and just, um, look, I mean, you know, I, all I know is, you know, I'm someone who's generally pretty practical. I don't jump to conclusions. All I know is there, there was something there that was clearly meant to be, that was where I was meant to, to move to, and it just took a little gut to look, a couple years of, uh, you know, of thinking about it and um, just making the decision. And, um, you know, in 2009, I made the decision for two reasons. Number one, because um, I wasn't yet married and people were telling me, oh, you'll find your wife in Israel, which I did. And because I was um, laid off from my job at ADL during the um, financial crisis of 2008. So I just thought, saw that as and then two more signs that, you know, it just this is the time to do it. If I was ever going to make the decision to move to Israel and up upend my life in Philadelphia, that was the time. And thankfully, I did it. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, there are people who actually think the opposite. They think, I can't move to Israel now because I don't have this. I can't move to Israel now because <laughs> I don't have it all together. But you just made a beautiful point. Israel is the place to get it all together. I mean, finish and, and get your life together here. So come, yeah, come without a job, come without a wife, come without Hebrew. It's fine. Yeah. Just get here. Awesome. Because here everything works. We hear it over and over. Everything works. Things just come together. Stay with us. We have a break coming up. Um, I don't know if the music has started, but I don't want to cut you off in the middle. I have a habit of doing that. Um, I'd like to, to you to tell us a little bit about how your life has, you know, come together when we get back after the messages, how you found your wife and all that. Okay, so stick with us, everyone. Please, we'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller, and me, Matt Zucker, for Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Zipinski. We're continuing our talk with Adam Levick, who made Aliyah in 2009 from Philadelphia, and today lives in Modi'in. Um, we were just um, talking about how so many people do come to these, uh, you know, they, they make these justifications, these excuses for not coming to Israel because they don't have a job, they don't have a wife, they don't have this, they don't have that, they're not ready. And Adam did the exact opposite. He did not see it that way. He saw it the opposite way. Like, you know, now I don't have this stuff. I'll do it there. I'll do it in Israel. And it, things have worked out. I want to hear exactly how they did work out. So, Adam, why don't you start from the beginning? Sure. Um, I hardly knew anybody when I got here. And, um, but, you know, obviously, you know, um, my main goal is to find work because um, I didn't come with uh, money or a job. And so my main focus in the beginning, um, other than uh, attending Opan, was to find a job. And I found a job in a coffee shop. Um, but, but beyond that, I submitted a couple op, um, essays that were published by the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, the JCPA. Um, which is a you know a think tank in Jerusalem, very well known, and associated with Dory Gold. And so I had some writing skills. So, but they didn't pay anything. But so I essentially you know got on the map here in Israel by publishing those uh, long reports. And then I was able mm-hmm. to get a job as a researcher with NGO Monitor, uh, which is run by um, which is run by. Um, drawing a blank for some reason by his name, Steinberg, Gerald okay, Steinberg. Okay. And uh, NGO cool. Monitor keeps an eye and monitors um, NGOs, nonprofit organizations throughout uh, that oftentimes contribute negatively to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by um, promoting reports delegitimizing Israel and oftentimes um, you know, anti-Zionism. So I was a researcher for NGO Monitor, and I happened through my work with NGO Monitor to get an op-ed published in, of all places, The Guardian, which you'll see is ironic, because um, I got an op-ed published about a um, horrible um, piece written by one of the NGOs that they monitor. And so at at the time, uh, there was a guy named Gary who had started an organization um, called CIF Watch, which was Comment is Free Watch. Um, Comment is Free was the home of the Guardian comment section, the Guardian being one of the most anti-Israel publications in the world. And he was looking for a managing editor and somehow found me and um, we had a, like a three-hour, two- or three-hour Skype interview and he hired me sight unseen um, to be the managing editor of this upstart, formerly grassroots uh, organization, which was dedicated to combating the Guardian's egregious anti-Israel bias and anti-Semitism. Okay, so so you within were like two years in, of in the world. getting that you job, totally being, in... I, oh, sorry. 
sorry. I just want you to know you were you were, you jumped in to your world. It sounds like, and then just yes, kind I of did. started hopping yeah. around is what you did, and that's yeah, cool. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, it, it was lucky. It was a combination of just reaching out, making contacts, because you know Israel is kind of like uh, a small country and. Especially within the Anglo um, world in Israel, you know, it isn't hard to make connections, and people are very open to meeting you if they don't know you, which is different than in the U.S. Look, the U.S. Right. is it's, geographically it's larger and it's just different. I mean, in Israel, just so whatever, it doesn't take yeah. much that's, for people to something. say yes. I'll have a coffee with you. Right. It's very, very different here. It's so much. Um, it, it's so informal. It's amazing. It is so easy that way. If you are gutsy here. You know, you can, it's, it's such a strength. Uh, you can go on Facebook and like friend people or what's it called? Um, LinkedIn and introduce yourself and set yourself up with a meeting, with a coffee, with a phone call. You know, people are, they're like very willing to, to meet you here. It's, it's really, yeah. And you realize how small the country is exactly by what you just said, how you just kind of jumped in and went from one job. Like I, I think a frogger, you know, you just start jumping around the highway. And, and you start meeting everybody, right? Um, when you're listening to the news here, and Adam, you can concur, you'll, you know, you'll hear this and you'll agree, you hear the traffic reports from all over the country. It is so funny when I hear that. You're you know, living in, a, in yeah. a small place, it's like the size of New Jersey, and you're hearing traffic reports about Haifa, about a lot, about the junction near the airport, and I'm, you know, in Hebron, and I'm thinking, like, who cares? Why? But it, it's just, a, it's a very, very small place, and nothing is really that far away. So when Adam jumps into his career, his first job, yeah, he's going to meet, you know, like a bunch of yeah. people who are right. going to give him opportunities if they like him. You know, every impression here is meaningful. Every single time you leave the house, be ready to make a connection with somebody who may change your life. It's you know, it, you, it's really, really true. It's absolutely true. And Adam is perfect. Uh, you know, here, here he is. He's giving us the perfect story. It happened. Evidence, right? Evidence. Um, right, right. Great. It's true. It's so true what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today you're at CAMRA, which is um, a very big and very well-known organization for um, Middle East accuracy, right? Something like that. That's what it stands for. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, just quickly, you know, at some point after I was with um, that organization, CF Watch, um, we kind of got on camera's radar. Um, camera is a, you know, since 1982, in fact, they're celebrating their 40th anniversary. Since 1982, they've been the main organization that fights media bias against Israel. Um, they're based in Boston, and but they have an international reach. They work in four languages, and they were trying to expand their British reach and, you know, saw that we were there, we meaning me and some volunteers were already doing a good job of keeping the Guardian, helping the Guardian accountable um, to, to the degree that anyone can. And so they took us on. So we became part of, you know, Camera in 2012. And, you know, it really was like, I often describe it to friends as kind of like a, we were like this internet startup and we were bought by Google or Intel. You know, we were bought by the premier pro-Israel <laughs> right. organization right. Um, or taken over. Right. And, um, you know, it just, my, professionally, it was a great, um, great thing also, um, in addition to being associated with a large organization that's been around for, for 40 years, it also means I, I started, instead of working by myself, um, you know, on a laptop with, you know, my cat on my lap, 
I had colleagues that have had you know had years of experience and just you know working with colleagues, you just pick up things, you learn more, uh, you have great interactions, mm-hmm. and it's just great to work yeah. with people that share your passion about media accuracy about Israel. Um, so right. right now I'm the co-editor along with my uh, other my my partner my co-editor um, Hadar Sela who lives in the Golan. Um, we manage Camera UK. That's the brand that's the British brand of camera. And it's just a great organization, and we there's thousands of members, and uh, we have what maybe three and a half or four dozen, three and a half dozen employees worldwide, and it's just um, the perfect job. You know, I often describe it as the perfect job, and it just like I like I explained to you, it just happens through you know pushing and making an effort and making contacts, but also so a series of good luck also. It's a combination of the two of them. Sure. But I couldn't be happier well, when I'm know, doing it professionally. Yeah, it's, it sounds, I love the story. I, it, I, we had another guest who was a um, broadcaster, a news broadcaster, and a, a kind of a similar story, you know. Um, if you're talented and if you're serious and um, you keep your eye on the ball, and also, you have this work ethic. You know, you, you told me you, you needed to work, so you got a job in a coffee shop. I mean, yeah, don't just sit around and do nothing. Don't just sit around and say, I'm only going to do the perfect job. Don't be like that. Right. You know, go right. out there and do something. Do something. And then do your passion as you can. Like you said, you wrote those articles. I mean, you're so smart because you kept yourself out there busy. And uh, that's a very positive um, attribute. It's a great characteristic for anyone making Aliyah. I don't care how professional and how high on the totem pole you are. When you come to Israel, you have to be a little humble. You know, not not a crime to be a little humble. And um, just, you know, it's kind of like starting a new life, right? But you just jumped right. in and look how quickly you rose. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, and I was also lucky enough to um, get married within the first year of of living in Israel, which, um, you know, <laughs> which um, was also just a combination, I guess, of putting myself out there and also just making the decision to, you know, um, making the smart decision in my life to ask uh, my wife, uh, my you know, then my then girlfriend to marry me. Um, so, um, yeah, everything came together in a way I could only have dreamed of. I mean, I really didn't expect things to fall into place that quickly, and I feel very fortunate. Yeah, it, it's, I love it. Um... Tell me how you met your wife. Tell us. In, Op- in Opan, um, we were both in different Opan, um, Aleph FS, you know, beginner level classes. Um, we were introduced by a mutual friend in Opan. I mean, I was living in my own apartment, but uh, she was living on the Opan campus at uh, Opan Etzion in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. And we were introduced one day, and it took me a little time, but I eventually asked her out. And, um, you know, it was just uh, magical. I think after less than three months of dating, I asked her to marry her, and um, we got married a few months later in Jerusalem, right next, in the old city, um, right next to the recently uh, renovated and reopened Herva Synagogue. Um, So it was uh, just, yeah, it was magical. It was really um, stunning, and this was uh, 2010, yeah. You're you're both Olim. Where is she from? She's from South Africa. Very cool. Very cool. Wow. Only in Israel. You know, these stories are great. You know, there are Jews everywhere. You you become so international here. Who would you know? You don't you don't think like this when you're in the states, but here you get it, it, people from all over. I just love that. Couldn't it's love true. That? It's true. And you know, she's from this small town in South Africa called Port Elizabeth, which I never heard of. And um, you know, it's funny because um, our, our, we have two daughters, and um, 
they're beginning to speak English. The way they speak English is more South African. So it's just funny to, you know, oh, hearing yeah, American English all your life and then like your own daughters are speaking <laughs> with that South African accent. You're like, with an accent. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I love the story. I hope our listeners gain something and some insight and some courage from your story. I certainly did. And um, have a great Pesach. And um, wow, just keep up the good work. Cameras an amazing organization. They're lucky to have you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate having me on. Yeah, see you. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. That was really um, enjoyable speaking with Adam. I love that story. And if any of you have any questions for Adam, please email me at natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. I'll be happy to pass on any questions or messages you have for Adam of, um, for, for you. I want to read for you something. I am... Um, interviewed someone a couple shows ago, a couple weeks ago. He, uh, I think his name was Yitzhak Sassoon, and he is a, um, is American also, moved to Israel, and he runs a company called Aliyah Shipping. Some of you may remember that show, and he launched a magazine called Aliyah Magazine, and um, it features different olim in there. And there's a really nice story I want to read to you. It's about a family that moved to Neve Daniel, from Baltimore in 2007. And I'm just going to read it. It's a very nice story. It's a family. They say, recently we asked Olin to share stories of the successful Aliyah. So here we go. This is the Eastman family. Ruti and Avi Eastman. Hi, new and future Israelis, they write. Avi and I want to share our Aliyah story, which just may encourage you. What is encouraging about the Eastman Aliyah story? Well, we broke all the rules. We came with very little money, two teenagers, no Hebrew, and no jobs. We arrived in Israel with no family to support us and at the advanced ages of 49 and 58. We were not without funds entirely. We had a military pension and the proceeds after debt settlement of the sale of our house in the States. That meant I could feel like a kala a new bride, as we bought my first new refrigerator, stove, and wash and dryer of my life. We had spent the 16 years building up to our Aliyah, preparing our children, so that by the time we finally made Aliyah, they thought it was their idea. Our sons took about a year to adapt to the new culture, and I guess those are the teenagers, and another two sons joined us within a few years, so they don't tell us the ages of them. They all learned their Hebrew in the street, playing American football and in the IDF, the army. The language was and continues to be our biggest challenge. Now she's talking about 
her and her husband. Okay, she's not talking about the children. So if you have the language, keep increasing your skills any way you can. If you don't have the language, try your best to attain it. But know that you can get by without Hebrew as long as you stay humble enough to ask for help. Expect occasional frustration, meltdowns, and know that your children or grandchildren will be fluent. And that's why you made Aliyah anyway, right? For your future. I agree with her. And that may well have little to do with you in your lifetime. It will surely have to do with your progeny, or if you haven't any kids, with the lives you touch, with the wisdom God gave you and no one else. With or without Hebrew, add light to the people around you. God allowed you to make Aliyah because he wants you to do something here for him and his people that you simply could not do anymore in your country of origin. The most exciting part of our Aliyah, she writes, is that we ended up reinventing ourselves. My husband became a country-renowned American football coach. All of my sons played American football, and some even played internationally, something they were unlikely to have done as religious Jewish American boys. All of them served their country by protecting Jewish people in the Holy Land, in the army, instead of going off to far-off countries to fight whatever wars American troops were embroiled in. My husband has been teaching guitar, and I have taught harmonica. I did find a job online at which I worked for several years as we adjusted to life in Israel. But when I retired from that, I wrote and published four books so far, something I never would have done in the States. My sons and the beautiful and fine women they met and married here have started businesses or are working in high tech or are learning the skills to be professionals here in Israel. They are bringing up little Sabras, whose Hebrew and English skills make their grandmother very proud. 10 years before they came, now this was interesting, so listen, okay? 10 years before we came, we had the misfortune to speak with an Aliyah representative who said, if you don't have $10,000 in cash, don't even try to make Aliyah. We believed him, so we gave up until we couldn't bear not being Israelis anymore and took the chance. What would have happened if we had not listened to him back then? Perhaps Hebrew wouldn't have been so much as a problem. I don't know. But I'm so very grateful that God didn't give up on us and we finally did make Aliyah. This has been the richest, this has been the richest 14 years of my life. May we continue to grow as Israelis in our Holy Land, adding the special light he entrusted to each of us. Okay, that's, there's a lot in there. Um, and the one, the thing that really jumps out at me is the Hebrew and the money, because this is what we hear over and over again. I can't make Aliyah because I don't have Hebrew, and I can't make Aliyah because I'm not rich. We just spoke to Adam Levick, who moved here when he was 40 years old, 41 years old, with no money, no Hebrew and no friends, and no career, right? He got a job at a coffee shop, started writing some articles. Today, he's with camera a very large, well-known organization. Um, it is not a reason not to come. Um, you know, but I, I do understand that there are people who have built themselves up in such a way, in such a lifestyle, at such a level, that they don't want to lose that. And you really have to look at your life and say to yourself, what do you want? To end with, do you want to end with, you know, a lot of stuff outside of Israel, or do you want to end up 
living here, being buried here, having your life here. It's, you know, rich in deeds and rich in experiences and rich in family. Um, you know, that's just a choice each of us must make. I do get the, uh, you know, the, the angry listeners who say not everyone can come. It's difficult. Yeah. All right. But if you can, I think you should. Um, Adam's attitude is the best. This lady also who wrote this letter has a great attitude. Um, they told her you have to have $10,000. People say you have to have money. Yeah. Okay. Everything's easier with money. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Of course, if you have it, bring it. The more you have, the easier it'll be. Of course. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to make it if you don't. We came with very little. Um, but I was okay with that. You know, I, 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 I can live simple. I can, we were poor for a while. It doesn't, you know, didn't bother me. And the children don't care. The kids are little. They don't care. What do they need? So I, I like that. Um, so this new magazine has asked me to write an article as well. So I'll be doing that. And I guess every couple of weeks they'll come out with something. So I will um, share those with you. I like those stories. It's sometimes hard to find Olim. This uh, Adam, I just happened to find because I saw a Facebook post. But, you know, we are scattered all over Israel. We are in the main cities and we are in the Yishuvim and we are in the Moshavim all the way up north and all the way down south. We're everywhere. And, you know, thank goodness we keep coming and there's new Olim all the time. There are a lot of us here. You're not going to be by yourself. Every place you go, there's a community, there's WhatsApp, there's Facebook, there are actual real neighbors and there's a telephone and there's a meeting at the store and the coffee shop. And you can have a very simple, old fashioned social life or you can have a very modern, high tech, virtual social life. It's all here. It's all here. Um, it's so funny because I used to think that America was the best and the fastest and the most modern. And I think for many, many years it was, and people in Israel would, you know, get so excited to go to the States to buy things or someone who was coming from the States to bring them things. But now Israel has everything. So it's not, that's, that that's gone. Thinking that Israel is second best and doesn't have, doesn't exist anymore. Israel has everything. And sometimes some things here are better. I think I've mentioned this, but you know, the food is better. The fruits and vegetables are better. The produce, it's all local. It's, it all has taste. Um, the bounty, the abundance of the vegetables and fruit is just amazing. Uh, I was speaking to my husband the other day. There's a girl who lives in our Yishuv, a friend of mine. She moved here when she was 14 from Russia. And she uh, has told me about her Aliyah and she just couldn't get over the abundance of the produce because in her town in Russia, she would go to the store and there would be like eight carrots and, you know, five eggs. And there was like really nothing really to buy. And you also had to bring your own plastic bag here. When she moved here, she just couldn't get over it. I mean, it's just piles and piles of cucumbers and red peppers and melon and Clementino and uh, so much stuff here. So I mean, so much food, so much fresh food. She couldn't get over it. And then she had the plastic bags. And years ago, they used to at the checkout give you plastic bags, like give you tons of them, just kind of like throw twenty bags at you, so to bag up your own things. And coming from Russia, where they had to have 
bring their own one plastic bag. It was like a dream to her. Now they're very um, concerned with ecology here. And you actually do, you could buy a bag, they, they, they charge you for plastic bags now, very small amount. Um, but people do buy their own bags and bring their own shopping bags. And it's really become pretty environmentally modern. And that's also a great thing. You know, Israel is like at the top of its game. You know, it really is modern country, uh, a very wealthy country in some respects. And there's just no reason to think that you can't have a good life here because it's not true. This is the best life you can have. So if you can come and have your life here, come, have your life here. Wishing you all a happy Pesach, Pesach Sameach. I'm off. Have a great week. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.